In less than a month's time, people will be making New Year's resolutions. But how long will those resolutions last? For many, probably not that long. Uh, We're not a generation who tend to stick at things, uh, particularly but not limited to those who are younger. Uh, This can carry over into our spiritual lives as well. According to the Bible Gateway website, a popular Bible reading website, uh, more people look at Bible reading plans on the 1st of January than any other day of the year. But one week later, 30% of people have already dropped off. By the end of February, January's overall reader numbers have dropped by a third. And by the end of May, nearly half the people who accessed Bible reading plans in January have stopped. Not that it's wrong to uh, stop a particular Bible reading plan, of course, But the statistics show that we are not good at sticking to things. And one of the things that we find it hardest to persevere at is prayer. I'm sure we've all felt challenged about our prayer lives at one time or another. Uh, But even if it leads to renewed efforts, we often uh, soon fall back into old patterns. And if you can identify with that this morning, then the good news is that this is a problem that the Lord Jesus anticipated. That's the reason he told the parable that we have in front of us this morning. And uh, we're going to look at that parable under two headings. And firstly, this morning we see our prayers and God's delays. Our prayers and God's delays. Did Jesus expect us to struggle to persevere in prayer? Well, we find the answer in verse 1. What does it suggest if Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not give up? Well, surely it suggests that our problem is going to be praying only sometimes and then losing heart. Why are we tempted to give up praying? Well, one big reason is because we're not going to have all our prayers answered right away. If we got instant results, we wouldn't have to persevere in prayer. If Jesus had intended that all our prayers would be answered right away, he wouldn't have told us this parable. Sometimes we'll pray and wonder whether God has even heard us. Sometimes we'll get answers, but not the answers that we want. In fact, the the context of this parable suggests that Jesus is thinking particularly of prayers that may not be answered in this life. If you look back to chapter 17 and verse 20, where we began our reading earlier, uh, you'll see that Jesus has been asked about when the kingdom of God will come. In verse 22, he then takes that as an opportunity to teach the disciples about his return. And about the fact that in the meantime, things will go on as they have always gone on. Uh, People eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. And so if 
everything just seems to go on as has always gone on. That the temptation for God's people uh, will be to give up hope that Jesus will ever come back. And, and so the haunting question Jesus leaves us with in verse 8 of chapter 18 is, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Uh, will he find faith, or will he find people who had the faith to keep on praying, even though things didn't go the way they wanted? There will be no need for faith after this life. In heaven we will live by sight, not by faith. Christians will finally enjoy what they believed that they would one day experience. In hell, unbelievers will experience the punishment that they refuse to believe in on earth. Uh, but neither uh, the believer or the unbeliever will need faith. And so this is actually a tremendous opportunity for us because here and now in this life is the only opportunity that we have to display faith but if God just answered all our prayers right away we wouldn't really need to live by faith and so even when Jesus or or even what Jesus seems to be saying about quick answers in verses 7 and 8 needs to be read in light of the fact that Jesus begins and ends this section by talking about his return. In fact, the last part of verse 7 is hard to translate. Uh, Many commentators think the verse should read, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, even though he delays long over them? Even though he delays long over them. Uh, so the point uh, is that God will give justice to his uh, elect. He will answer their prayers, but maybe not immediately. Now maybe verse 8 seems to suggest the opposite. It says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But that's not necessarily speedily according to our timetable. Uh, The same word uh, for speedily is used in the first and last chapters of Revelation uh, where it describes the events the book speaks of as things which must soon take place. So speedily, soon, it's also the word Paul uses when he tells the Christians in Romans that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under their feet. And those references are the things that the church has been waiting for for 2,000 years. That, I think, is why this section ends by talking about Jesus' return. Will his people have given up in the meantime? And yet speedily also means that his answer will come not a moment too late. But we still have the question, why doesn't God always answer our prayers the way we would want? Or apparently not answer them at all? We often wish we knew the answer to that, don't we? We pray, and it seems nothing. Nothing happens. Well, the Bible does give us a few pointers One reason is uh, that if we pray uh, and there seems to be no response and yet we keep on praying, it shows that God is enough for us, even if we don't get any of his gifts that we've been hoping for. Uh, 
when the Apostle Paul asked for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, he received the answer, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In another place, Paul writes about facing so many troubles in Asia that he and his companions despaired of life itself. Why? He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Often God brings us to our lowest point to see whether we'll rely on him. Sometimes when God doesn't give you what you want, he's asking you, am I enough? He's asking whether in that moment that we can say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Another reason why God doesn't always answer our prayers is that it shows who God's true people are. When the hoped for answer doesn't come, will you throw in the towel and walk away? Or will you say like Job, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. It's interesting that verse 7 says that God will give justice to his elect. You'll meet people who will say that if you believe in the doctrine of election, there's no point praying because God has already decided things. But Jesus obviously doesn't see any conflict here. And in fact, he's saying that your prayer life will be one of the signs as to whether you're part of the elect or not. Because God's elect are those who cry out to him day and night. Uh, Those who aren't his elect uh, may pray for a while, but they'll give up. And notice the intensity of the language. His elect who cry out to him day and night. Uh, This isn't just a case of saying your prayers as a box-ticking exercise, as a routine, as many people uh, around us do, even though they're not trusting in Jesus. Uh, The same word uh, for cry out is used later in the chapter for a blind beggar crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's an intense word which is used to describe people who realize how desperate a plight they are in. So while others will soon give up on prayer, the true Christian will keep going. John Calvin says it is undoubted evidence of our faith if we are disappointed of our wish and yet do not lose courage. In other words, it is evidence of our faith if we don't get what we want but keep trusting God. Uh, One more of the many reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers right away is to make us long for home. To make us long for home. Someone has described God's children in this world as like young people who are away from their father's country. As long as their letters are answered quickly and their father keeps funding them, they live at ease in the strange country uh, and they aren't in any rush to come home. But when the money dries up and their father lets them write over and over again without sending them any answer, they start longing for home. If God answered all the prayers the way you wanted, uh, you'd probably be quite happy to stay in this world. But sometimes he doesn't answer so that you'll not get too comfortable here. 
So you'll not start thinking it's home. And so you'll long for heaven. So those are some of the reasons why we may pray and God may delay. Often we'll not know which of those reasons it is. But whenever it looks like God has forgotten you. Take to heart the words of Isaiah 49, 14 and 15. There the church says, the Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has forgotten me. But God replies, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Uh, There is more chance of a new mother walking out of the maternity unit and forgetting to bring the baby with her than there is of God forgetting about you. Even if it seems for all the world like he has. So our prayers and God's delays. While we are in this world, we are going to need to persevere at prayer. But then uh, the second of our two points this morning, and to encourage us to keep going, we see our prayers and God's character. Our prayers and God's character. Imagine uh, that a Ukrainian single mother had recently moved to Strunrar. Her landlord charges her high rent for a rundown house. As winter draws in, it becomes clear that there's something badly wrong with the central heating system. It comes on, but barely enough to warm the radiators, never mind the house. (coughs) She tries to phone the landlord, but he doesn't return her calls for two weeks. Finally, he comes to the house, but only because he has to collect the rent. He says that if the boiler is turning on, then it's working and it should be fine. Uh, the next day he, he, he dumps around some old unsafe electric heaters and says that if she's cold she can use them. Uh, the woman doesn't know much English, uh, she doesn't know anyone, uh, she doesn't have the first clue about the legal system but she has her landlord's phone number and address because they're written on her contract and for the sake of her children she's not going to give in. Uh, So every day she sends him texts in broken English asking when the heating is going to be fixed. She tries phoning him every day. In the evening she starts going round to his house uh, and knocking on his door and asking him to sort the heating. She works out his daily routine and when he stops at Morrison's each morning to get his meal deal, she's there. He's repeatedly ignored the requests of previous tenants to fix the heating, but at last he gives in and gets someone out to sort it. That's the sort of scenario Jesus presents his disciples with in these verses to encourage them to pray and not lose heart. Someone in a position of power being ground down by someone who is completely powerless. And the only weapon they have is persistency. But 
But it is important uh, to see what Jesus is doing here because uh, quite often we look at Jesus' parables like, like the parable of the prodigal son and say, well, the father represents God, the prodigal son represents the out and out sinner, the older brother represents the person who's trusting in their religion. Uh, and with most parables, that is the way to go about it. But this parable is different. It's one of contrasts. We are different from the widow and God is very different from the judge. The parable isn't teaching that God is unwilling to give us things, but that if we stick it praying long enough, he'll reluctantly give us what we ask. Instead, in the parable, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying that if this is what the unjust judge will do, how differently and how much more quickly will God answer us? Uh, not long before we moved to Skrnar, we were having some car trouble. And where we were living, you needed a car to get pretty much anywhere. So a man in the church that we were in lent us his car for as long as we needed it. Now, imagine I'd been in his house uh, shortly afterwards and seen a book that I wanted to borrow would I have thought to myself, well, well, I'd really like to read that book, but, but I would ask him to lend it to me because he probably wouldn't. Of course not. My logic would be if he's willing to lend me his car, how much more will he be willing to lend me a book? And so in the same way, when we hear this parable, we're to think, if the unjust judge will answer this widow's prayers, how much more will God answer the prayers of his own children? Just think of the differences between God and the judge and between the widow and us. The widow was a stranger to the judge. She didn't know him and he didn't know her. There was no previous relationship there. It wasn't even that she was some distant third cousin twice removed. She had no family connection to appeal to. Whereas Jesus says in verse 7... <clears throat> will not get God give justice to his elect. Uh, we are those who God has set his love on from before the foundation of the world. We come to him as children to a father. So if the unjust judge will listen to this widow who has no relation to him, how much more will your heavenly father listen to you? The widow is also different from us because she comes with a purely personal request which the judge had no interest in. I don't mean it was a selfish request, I just mean it was to no advantage to, 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 uh, to, to the judge as to whether, as to whether, she, whether he, he did it or not. But we come to God about a cause which he himself is committed to. And so we can say like Asaph in Psalm 74, Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Because if we're praying in line with God's will, it's not just our cause, it is God's cause. And then the unjust judge is different from God precisely because he is unjust. Uh, there are cultures where the only way to make progress is to line someone's pocket with money. Maybe you've experienced a, a modern culture where bribes are just a part of everyday life. 
Well, the judge in this story admits that he doesn't fear God or people. So ordinarily, the only way this widow could have hoped to get his, his attention, could have hoped to get justice, was to bribe him. But again, how different God is. He doesn't need anything we could give him. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. And for him to be unjust would be for him to cease to be God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is just? Another way the widow is different from us is that she has no one to speak on her behalf. Courts in those days weren't a place where women would be unless there was absolutely no adult male to speak for her. So even a just judge mightn't have paid too much attention to a woman with no one to represent her. But again, how different it is with us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. We don't just have some state-appointed lawyer. We have the greatest representative we could ever hope for to plead our cause. Our own elder brother. The widow had no promise that the judge would answer her. But we have God's promise that he will do just that. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. The widow had never received anything before from the judge. If she had been in his courtroom before and received even a small judgment in her favour, it would have given her some hope. But she hadn't. And yet we have received the greatest uh, declaration in our favour. Because we can pray confidently saying, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So when you come before God in prayer, remind yourself of who it is that you're going to. And remind yourself of all that he has done for you in the past. And so really Jesus' answer here, uh, when you're struggling to keep going in prayer, is to remind yourself of who God is. His approach here isn't to give his disciples practical steps about prayer, but instead he reminds them of the God who they are to pray to. And that is what will encourage us to keep praying. Uh, And as well as that, the more we pray in light of who God is, the more in light of Jesus' return we pray, the more our requests will be in line with that great purpose that he is working out in the world. And the more our will will align with his. So our prayers and God's delays. While we are on earth, there are many prayers that we will not see answered the way we want. But in it all, God is working out his good purpose in our lives. And by his grace, his true people won't give up. And what is it that will will help us keep going? It's seeing more and more of who it is that we're praying to. Reminding ourselves that we're not dealing with an apathetic, wicked crook who doles out favourable decisions to the highest bidder but rather that we pray to a loving, 
caring God who has promised to deliver us and has the power to accomplish it. And so in light of those in light of God's character, we can face those delays, saying uh, with the Apostle Paul, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Amen. Well, let's close with the words of, of one of the, the Psalms I quoted earlier, Psalm 74, the closing verses of the Psalm. It's page 164. Psalm 74, 18 to the end. Uh, the second uh, two lines of verse 18 are words that the widow could not have said to the judge, but that we can say to God. Do not forget forever the afflicted ones that you love. Uh, the widow was an afflicted one, but uh, she, she could not appeal to the judge's love for her because he had none but we can appeal to God's love for us. Uh, then in verses 19 and 21, we pray to a God who, unlike the judge, has bound himself to us. Verse 19, on to the covenant, have regard. Verse 21, arise, O God, and plead your cause. If we are his people, God's interests and our interests are not opposed to each other. Rather, they are aligned. And then finally, verse 22, if God won't forget the voice of his enemies, if he will mark what they say and one day judge them, how much more can we be sure that he won't forget the voice of his people? So verses 18 to the end, if you're able, we'll stand as we sing praise. <laughs>